Well, my name's Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here, so I want to add my welcome to you who are with us here in the sanctuary this morning, as well as those of you who will be joining us online either uh, this morning or at some point in the future. Uh, it's one of the amazing things about ministry today is uh, uh, it's changing all the rules, right? And so we are uh, spending time, and today we're wrapping up our series on emotionally healthy discipleship because in this season, we're recognizing that uh, the church is not going to go back to the way it used to be, and yet we don't really know exactly what the church will become, but we know that in the midst of that, one of the things that we can ensure that we can work on is that we can work on ourselves. That if we're emotionally healthy and we're spiritually healthy, then we will be prepared to be able to, to be aware of where God is working and to align ourselves with what God is doing so that we can apply his word to our lives in new ways and we can follow Jesus as his true disciples. In his book, by the same title, Peter Schizero helps us begin to identify that a more emotionally healthy discipleship that we learn from Jesus is one that leads us to truly abide in Him, to, to plant our lives in Him. Or in the parable uh, uh, that he talks about, where, where, where you, the, the builders of the house, you can build your house on the solid rock, or you can build it on the shifting sands. But when we abide in Him and we remain in His love and we build our house on a solid foundation, as both the starting point as well as the foundation for recovering not only an emotionally healthy discipleship, but an understanding that our spirituality as followers of Jesus is actually about recovering a healthy and whole understanding of what it means to be human beings created in the image of God. Intimacy with Jesus, he tells his disciples, is the starting point for creating a safe space for us to become real with God and to become real with ourselves. When we stay connected to Jesus, especially through those hard times, we discover that even though life is difficult and life can be painful, God actually does his deepest work in us through the most difficult seasons of our life. You see, when we begin to accept God's gift of limits and we discover that, that there are hidden treasures often buried in the midst of our experiences of grief and loss, we also come alive to the transforming power of God's Spirit that is at work within us that maybe we couldn't realize or recognize or understand in any other way. And what we discover is that when we can trust God, not only with the things that we, we celebrate and that we appreciate and that we praise God for, but also the things that we struggle through and the things that, that hurt us and the betrayals and the losses we experience, we discover that when we entrust all of that to God in our relationship with Him through His resurrection power that He gives us through His Son and His Spirit, He actually takes those very painful, broken places in our lives and transforms them into the very gifts that he gives us to give away to others in Jesus' name. And so in a more emotionally healthy discipleship, we also come to realize that what we do for Jesus naturally comes from and flows out of who we are and who we are becoming in Jesus. 
And so the core issue of an emotionally healthy discipleship is not, what will you do for Jesus? The core question is, what will you allow Jesus to do in you? Jesus says that if we focus our energies on being with him and growing in spiritual and emotional maturity from the inside out, the external results, the fruit of our lives come naturally as the overflow of the work that he is doing within us. Scazzaro says in his book, in emotionally healthy churches, people intentionally follow the model of Jesus. They focus on learning to genuinely love well, recognizing that the indispensable mark of spiritual maturity is not attendance numbers, personal recognition, spiritual gifts, or even Bible knowledge. The essence of genuine spiritual life in Christ is love. Love for God, love for ourselves and love for others. And isn't that what we see in Scripture? Isn't that what Jesus reveals to us about his call to go and make disciples of all nations? If, if we genuinely love other people with the same love that we have received from, from Jesus, the result will be the fruit of his spirit at work within us in and through all of the relationships in our lives. And so in this way, Scazzaro brings it all to a point to say that all of the difficult things that we go through, all of the painful experiences we have, when we allow those things to be used by God to grow us in those deep places, to build our character, and to, to form us into Christ-likeness, we discover that it is love that becomes the mark of genuine Christian maturity. And so we learn that in order to love others in the name of Jesus, we must learn to love others in the way of Jesus. See, we follow Jesus as mature disciples, he says, by following the model of Jesus' love for us. And so what is Jesus' model of love for us? How do we define it? How do we describe it? Well, he says that uh, in the Bible, we can see that the best way to describe Jesus' love for us is with the word incarnational. It's Jesus' incarnational love for us. What does incarnational mean, <laughs> right? It means in the flesh, in the bod. He's the God who took on a bod and came to us so that he could become God with a face, God with skin on. And we see that our spiritual practice as Christians is tied to the core of the theology of what we say we believe that God has revealed about himself and about what he's shown us through giving us his son Jesus. You see, in the incarnation of God in Jesus, we, we believe that the infinite creator and sustainer of, of the universe, which we sang about this morning, willingly took on our own human limitations. He confined himself into our history, into our story, within a human body that was not only born, but, but could also die. And we know that the Bible tells us in John 1, verse 14, that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling, His home among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or I love the the message translation that Eugene Peterson gives us. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. (laughs) We have seen his glory with our own eyes. You see, in Jesus, God entered into your world and into my world. In real, concrete, raw, physical, tangible ways. God knew that there was no better way to show human beings uh, about his love than to become a human being and to to love us in in our human ways, right? In our human life, in, in a human body. Physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Today the Bible tells us that Jesus can still be seen, heard, and touched, right? How can Jesus still be seen, heard, and touched? In us, right? Doesn't the Bible say that we are the body of Christ? Do you believe that? Or is that just poetic language? What does that actually mean for us as his followers? Are we really the place in this world where Jesus continues to abide and to dwell and to make his home through the power of his Holy Spirit? Because the next point that Schizero makes is that we are called by Jesus through the power of his Spirit at work within us to be Jesus with skin for other people. That's a pretty high calling, isn't it? to be Jesus for somebody else. Well, I I can't be Jesus. I'm not perfect, right? I'm not good enough to be Jesus for somebody. I mean, I, I can't give my life for the world. Well, you don't have to give your life for the world. Jesus has already done that, right? It's not our job to go and save the world. Jesus has already made the ultimate sacrifice. He died once for all people. What he invites us to do is to now live in that love and to carry out that love in the same way that he modeled it for us. It might be like someone who's called to be an international missionary, right? If you're going to go around the world to, to be a missionary to someone in another culture, you have to leave your own home and leave what's familiar to you and your own culture and your own preferences and maybe your own foods and the, your own way of doing things, and you have to enter into a whole new culture. And you have to learn to live in a, in a different way and in a new way. And, and you move into this new culture not to criticize it and judge it and say how wrong and, and awful it is, right? You go in to learn about it and to appreciate it and to learn how to love the people who are living in that different culture so that you can incarnate the love of Jesus to them so they can come to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Men and women, it's possible that in our understanding of an incarnational model of love that Jesus reveals to us, that we could say that Jesus calls each one of us as his disciples to become missionaries to one another. Now, what do I mean by that? Is it possible that Jesus is calling us to to recognize that within each one of us, there's an entire universe of, of experience and reality that sometimes nobody else knows? And that it requires somebody who's willing to leave their world 
and enter into our world in truth and in grace in order for us to experience the truth of what the Bible teaches. We enter into somebody else's world not to criticize and to judge and to tell them why they're wrong or why they need to change, but to incarnate the love of Jesus for them as the starting point for the newness of God's love to work in their own hearts. You see, it's in this incarnational understanding of love, this missional call of Jesus for us as his followers, as as the church, as the body of Christ in the world, that is not a call to grow the organization of the church bigger and bigger and bigger for its own sake, but to learn how to become whole, healthy people ourselves so that we can enter into the world of another person in order to demonstrate Jesus' love for them. I really believe that if we're honest with ourselves and if if we really come to understand the people in our culture and around the world, that more than anything else, people are not looking for us to fix their problems. People are looking for us to enter into their world in ways that communicates God's love and acceptance for them to give them hope and so that they don't feel like they're alone. Does anybody feel like they want somebody to come into their world in that way for them? I know I do. And so the deeper questions I think most of us are often asking in life are, does anybody see and understand my pain and my hurt and what I'm going through? Does anybody care about my loneliness and my isolation and that even though I walk around with a smile on my face and when people ask me how I'm doing, I say I'm great, the truth is completely the opposite. And and is it even really safe to be honest and to let somebody into the truth of my world? without being criticized or judged or rejected. You see, in order to grow as disciples of Jesus, Schizero says we need to learn how to love other people incarnationally. In the same way that Jesus demonstrated his love for us. And he he takes us back to Scripture and he says one of the best pictures that Jesus has given us of of what it looks like to live and love incarnationally in practice is when he wrapped a towel around his waist and he stooped down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. You remember that story? John 13, he begins in verse 1. It says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come to For him to leave this world and to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God, right? Keep in mind, this is is Jesus' worldly perspective. He knew these things. And so he got up and said, you all need to bow down and worship me because I'm the Lord of the universe. Why are you laughing? Well, that's not what Jesus said. 
When he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jumping to verse 12, it says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place and he asked them a poignant question. Do you understand you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Men and women, we need to relearn again what it means to love other people incarnationally. In the same way that Jesus demonstrated his love for us, but that also means that it becomes critically important that we understand the importance of being emotionally healthy and mature people. Because if we're going to enter into other people's worlds, if we're going to enter into other people's pain and brokenness and suffering, we need to be safe and trustworthy people. Or otherwise, we're going to more, do more harm than good. And we need to be able to enter into somebody else's world without losing a sense of ourself and who we are in Christ. And so that we become able to live in the tension between their world and our world as a sign of our solidarity with them as we hang on to Jesus. But this takes a level of maturity, Schizero suggests, that has a firmly established identity in Christ and that allows us the freedom to accept other people in their own humanity, no matter where they come from, no matter where they are, no matter what they believe, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent, <laughs> no matter what the color of their skin or, or, or their politics or the country of origin, because we need to learn how to love people first without having to have them agree with our beliefs or our behaviors as a condition of our willingness to love them. The problem is that along the way as a church, we've been seeing the symptoms of a misunderstanding of this kind of love that Jesus demonstrated for his disciples and how it relates to our own emotional health and maturity as followers of Jesus. We can see that we have longtime church people who've been Christians for most, if not all, of their lives. And yet they still don't know what to do with their own anger or their own sadness. They're still afraid to be honest and transparent in their relationships with one another and at church about what's really going on in the deeper places of their lives. They still prefer to avoid conflict and cut off relationship rather than to engage one another in proactive ways that work towards peace and healing. 
who want to be seen as nice people and struggle to stop saying yes when they really want to say no. Amen? Anyone? Who make assumptions about other people without ever checking it out with them. Who are quick to complain about other people to other people rather than going directly to the person with which we maybe have the issue. And he says another problem we see in the church is we continue to over-function, taking it upon ourselves to do for others what they can and should do for themselves, and then feeling put upon because we're having to be the responsible person again. Men and women, in the season ahead, we need to face the reality that it's impossible to become spiritually mature without also becoming emotionally mature. And yet right now, there's very little that we do with and for one another or in our understanding of what it means to be church that actually helps one another to face these truths about ourselves and to find ways of repenting and moving in a new direction, which is really what repentance means, right? It just means turning around and going in a new direction. Scazzaro says, if we want quality of our relationship, if we want the quality of our relationships in our church to reflect the fact that we truly belong to the new family of Jesus, it will require a discipleship that actually moves people from brokenness to wholeness, first within themselves and then in the relationships with others. And so in incarnational love, he says, we commit ourselves to three core dynamics. He says there are the three things that we can keep in mind to help us live and love more incarnationally. And the three dynamics he identifies are, number one, as we've talked about, entering into another's world. But number two, being able to hold on to yourself. And then number three, which may be the most challenging, is hanging between two worlds and being okay with the tension that that creates. I want to walk through those three things real quick, and then we're going to wrap up our series, which is just, again, a scratch of the surface of emotionally healthy discipleship. But, but, but one of the skills that we can develop to make loving incarnationally practical is that we can learn how these three core dynamics apply to the basic skill of listening in our relationships with one another. Think about entering another's world, right? In order to enter another's world, that, that internal secret universe uh, with, with all the constellations of emotions and experiences that, that we hold within ourselves that, that sometimes it's hard to, to reveal or to let people into, but, but that we long to have somebody know and to be with us in the midst of that space. In order to know somebody's world, you have to be a good listener, because we cannot begin to see or understand their world, the world of another person, until they begin to share their experiences and to share their thoughts and their feelings and their perspectives. The problem is that too often for us, listening amounts to not much more than waiting for the other person to stop talking so that we can start talking, right? That's not listening. As a result, rather than truly listening or understanding, we're often distracted by the thoughts going on in our own heads. We're, we're evaluating what we're hearing and we're processing uh, our response and we're thinking about the arguments that we want to make to either agree or disagree or to show why they're right or to prove why they're wrong. 
That's why effective listening is an emotionally mature discipleship skill that we actually have to work on and develop and we need to help each other with. Because if we take the posture of a disciple of Jesus, which a disciple just means what? A a learner, right? It means that we are open to allowing God to use our interactions with other people to teach us about where he's wanting us to grow and to mature and to move in ways that we might not have understood before. But if we already know all the answers and there's nothing more that God really needs to teach us because we've got it all figured out, we enter into our time of listening to other people and entering into their world already closed to the presence of the Holy Spirit and what, might God, what God might want to do in our interactions with the person that we're, we're trying to listen to. especially difficult to do when we are seeking to enter into the world of someone with whom we disagree, right? (laughs) But if we're able to follow the example of Jesus and imagine when we come into a conversation with another person, wrapping the servant's towel around our waist and stooping to wash somebody else's feet, ew, (laughs) who would want to do that, right? We're more prepared to know what it means to love incarnationally like Jesus did. In order to love and to listen in this way, we have to be mature enough to also not be threatened by their perspectives and their opinions and their differences of their preferences and what they believe. We don't have to defend ourselves or prove anything to them. We can simply be present and to love them because we know who we belong to and we know where we gain our meaning and value from and we don't need for them to change to be like us. We can simply be present to them and love them as they are. And so that second dynamic of holding on to yourself was another dynamic that Jesus modeled for us, right? Jesus was able to love incarnationally because he knew how to hang on to himself, right? Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he had come from. He knows where he's going. That's what it says in verses 3 and 4, right? Let's look at that again. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew his mission. He knew what God had called him to do. He knew his status with the Father. And that he had come from God. He knew his past. He knew his history. He knew where he had come from. He knew all of the things that he had suffered and gone through and the, the temptations in the wilderness and, and, and the loss of his, his loved brother Lazarus and all of the brokenness and the pain and the rejection of his own people who, who didn't love him or accept him as their Messiah. He, he knew where he had come from. And he knew where he was going. He knew that he was heading back to the Father and that in the end, his his return back to a unity of love with the Father was his ultimate destiny. And because he knew where he had come from and he knew where he was going, he could take off his outer clothing and wrap the towel of a servant around his waist and stoop to actually love his disciples incarnationally. Jesus had a solid sense of his own identity. He knew who he was, and he didn't need other people to affirm that or to prove that. 
And so he could enter into the world as a servant to others but he can't, because he had nothing to defend and nothing to prove. And so he was able to be fully present without losing a sense of himself. Schizero says, if I don't know myself, the only self I have to offer others will be a false self. Ouch. Do we really know ourselves? Are we really being ourselves with those we love the most? In your marriage at home, are you able to be your true self? Or are we presenting false selves, never really entering into the world of our spouse to show them love incarnationally because of the fear of of judgment and criticism and rejection? Parents, how do you think your kids feel about your love for them? Are we able to love our kids incarnationally, just loving them for who they are, without feeling like we need to correct them and change them and and manufacture people that are just like us? Do we truly have the ability to enter into another person's world and love them with Jesus' love for who they are and not for what we expect them to become? Because if we do, where we come from and where we're going allows us to not feel the need to defend ourselves or prove ourselves to anyone, but to be able to be truly present, to see them and to hear them and to love them so that they can know the incarnational love of God for them. But that requires us to learn to live with the third dynamic that he identifies as hanging between two worlds is living in the tension between you and me. And we don't like tension, do we? We try and avoid tension. We try to resolve tension. We don't like to live with tension. And so living in a space where we are in in constant tension or in ongoing uh, uh, disharmony is hard. And yet how often and for how long has God faithfully loved you as you have lived in the tension of your sin and his grace? How many times has God forgiven you and said, it's okay, I love you, and dusted you off and picked you back up and washed your feet again and said, you're already clean by the word I have spoken to you. Uh, you. You don't need a whole bath. You just need to let me serve you and love you so that I can change you from the inside out. But why is it so hard for us to live in that same tension with the other people around us? Why do we not have the same ability to have that that, that faithfulness and that grace to, to love people in spite of our differences and in spite of our disharmony and in spite of our conflict? Because we don't like the tension. We want to have control over our relationships so they all line up. So it doesn't, we don't have to work at it. It should be easy, right? And yet Jesus, in his entire life, as we read the story of his life with his disciples, lived between two worlds, between heaven and earth. He left his perfect world, it tells us in Philippians, to enter into a place where he would be misunderstood and persecuted by those of his own people where he experienced rejection and suffering on a cross, where he literally hung between the two worlds of heaven and earth so that we could know God's love for us. 
While we may never hang on a cross, literally, Scazzaro says, we cannot love incarnationally without embracing the cross of Christ in our own lives and experience some form of death of self so that we can love others the way Jesus did. In order to create a safe space for others to be themselves, to be who they truly are without judgment and without shame, unconditional, the unconditional love of God requires us to be mature and healthy within ourselves so that we don't need them to be anything for us, but we can truly be a servant to them. To live in the tension like Jesus did between two worlds takes a depth of character within us that can only come from allowing God to do His work. It takes a level of self-understanding where we have held our pain and our suffering and our emotions before God long enough for Him to do His healing and restoring work so we have a solid foundation of our life in Christ. And we're not looking to other people to complete us or, or to meet our needs or to tell us that we're okay. And that kind of identity only comes as we enter into and identify with the character of the Jesus who suffered and died for you to show you how much he loves you. Accepting the pain of the limits of our humanity uh, and the limits of our own perspectives and our own preferences and our own opinions in order to make room for the perspectives and opinions of others, even if we don't agree with them, is, is a picture of incarnational love. It's an incarnational love that is willing to live with the tension between you and me. Now, that experience, we, that tension we've talked about can be experienced with our friends here at church or at home with a spouse or with our kids or, or with a sibling or with a coworker at work or a neighbor that we live next to or with a person from a different culture or a different race or a different religion. But in the same way that Jesus said that a student is not above the teacher, and a servant is not greater than the master. We too must follow the pattern of the crucified Messiah to become willing to die to ourselves so that others might live. Because in Jesus we see the Lord of the universe who humbled himself and stooped to wash his disciples' feet and, and to refuse to accept the, the values of this world and to claim that People could grow in love for God in a way that did not translate into an incarnational love for other people. The religious leaders of Jesus' day knew their Bible backwards and forwards. <laughs> right? They, they practiced spiritual disciplines probably more intently than most of us do. They worshipped faithfully in the temple, but they were defensive and judgmental and unsafe to be around. And sadly, Scazzaro says, so are many people in our churches today. See, in calling his disciples to follow him, Jesus' priority was clear. You know where he wrapped this up for them? Let's jump to verse 33 of John chapter 13. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, he has spelled it out in plain English language, even though it was originally in Greek and he probably spoke in Aramaic. He has spelled it out in plain English language. And yet it is so hard for us to understand how to apply these truths in our lives, in our relationships with one another. And what Scazzaro is trying to help us to understand is a big reason for that is we haven't done the internal work to become emotionally healthy and mature human beings who can love in the way that Jesus loved. And in Jesus, we see that love expressing itself in practical ways of entering into one another's world is the mark of what spiritual maturity really looks like. And so loving each other in Jesus' name, especially those with whom we disagree, with those with whom we are currently in conflict, with the people who drive us crazy, and we all have a few of those, right? Loving people in that way is a discipleship skill that we have to work at developing. It's a skill that we have to work at developing. And if we don't have any place to learn that skill and to be mentored by others and to be coached in how to do it, we are simply left to our own devices to try and figure it out on our own. And naturally, in our own humanness, it doesn't come naturally to us. And so unless we've uh, miraculously had the benefit of, of, of healthy parents or a healthy church or a healthy community who have helped us to know what it looks like to be emotionally mature in our relationships with people around, of, uh, around us, most of us are just kind of hunting in the dark to try and figure it out. And so in teaching, back up one step. The bottom line reality that I think we know from Scripture, but that gets lost in the translation of life in this world, is that I think what Jesus wanted his disciples and wants us to understand that might be the linchpin that helps begin to change our perspective as a church and to move in a new direction is that it is in teaching people how to love people where we're actually teaching people how to love God. In teaching people how to love people, we're actually teaching them how to love God. And I think Jesus' point is you can't have one without the other. Right? Isn't that what 1 John says? Verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Ouch. For whoever loves, whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. 
And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Men and women, I believe the transforming revolutionary idea of Jesus where he took the old Shema and said, the Lord your God is one and your job is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. And then what did he say? And there's a second that's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you can't love the neighbor that you have seen, do you really know how to love the God who you haven't seen? Because the kind of love that God invites us to discover and to experience is an incarnational love that requires another person to fulfill. That's why Jesus came in the flesh. Loving others in Jesus' name is the spiritual practice that teaches us how to love God better. And yet so much of our time spent in church and in ministry is never focused on really helping us to learn how to love better incarnationally by by entering into another's world in safety and in trust. And so we go about doing all of our activities for God, but never really allow God to do that deeper transforming work within us that leads us to health and maturity and the ability to allow the love of Christ to overflow in our relationships with those around us. It is no wonder that we are divided in our culture, and it is no wonder that we are divided in the church. And it is no wonder that we struggle to know how to move forward in our time and in our culture because we are, we're, we're adolescent Believers, you guys remember middle school, right? Doesn't church sometimes feel like going back to middle school? And yet, Paul tells us that we need to move beyond the infant bottle of milk and move on to the tougher things, the challenging things, the real meat of our faith. Because when we do, It's in teaching people how to love people that we're actually teaching them how to love God. And so in this way, I want to suggest that we begin to move forward as a church, our focus as a faith community, as a spiritual family in Christ, as the body of Christ in the world. We move from teaching and training ourselves and others how to be good church people to once again teaching and training one another in the name of Jesus And in the way of Jesus, how to be good people. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have created us in miraculous and wonderful ways. That before we were even born, you you knew us in our mother's womb and and, and you believed in us and you cared about us and you loved us so much so that, that, that the gift of your son Jesus, we are all able to see as your gift of love incarnationally to each one of us. And so I pray, God, for each person in our church and for our church in this season ahead, that that you allow the truth of the good news of your love for us and your son Jesus to be a word that truly opens our eyes and shines a light to our path. 
and gives us the courage and the ability to lean into the hard work of becoming truly healthy and mature, emotionally healthy human beings so that we can become spiritually mature and truly love other people in the ways that you have called us to love so that your light and your kingdom may shine forth from this place and throughout the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.